verses that I just read. Now in verses 1 and 2, do not overlook those introductory verses because they are rich with meaning. Look at verse 1. The God of the universe condescends to go to a human being, calls him by name, and invites him to be involved in his rescue mission to the world. That is an honor, that is a privilege, that is an undeserved and unmerited assignment. And that is part of our story as well. That the God of the universe not only created you, but he saved you and he calls you individually and us together to be involved in God's rescue mission to the world. He called Jonah by name and he calls you by name. Now Jonah was a prophet of some renown. The only other time prior to the book of Jonah that he is mentioned is in the books of Kings. And he was a, quote, successful prophet. You see, most prophets in the Old Testament were charged by God to deliver not-so-good news to people. But Jonah was told to deliver good news to his people. Now, who wouldn't want to be given the assignment to preach good news to his own people? And, of course, the prophecy came true, and Jonah was fairly popular. Now, a second assignment comes to Jonah... He is invited, he is honored by this invitation, and look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Two of the most unfortunate verses of all scripture, and I could erase Jonah's name, and I could put my name in there, and I think you could put your name in there, but Jonah, but Zach, but Cody, but Scott, we are invited. To live in God, with God, for God. And so often, it's not that we don't understand the assignment. We simply say to God, no thank you. So what did Jonah do? Where do we see this first heart of hard-hearted disobedience? He premeditates and plans and executes his disobedience. And there are Christians all over our world today. It's not limited to this place. It's not limited to Alabama. It's not limited to America. The church around the world. Because what are we other than a group of saved yet still broken, selfish people? Many of us are in line waiting to buy our ticket to Tarshish. God told Jonah to go due east to Nineveh. Jonah instead, not that he didn't hear God, goes to the port, finds a ship going in the exact opposite direction. Hard-hearted disobedience. If you're like me, it is one of your spiritual gifts. Now, Jonah could be the shortest book in the Bible because at this point, when Jonah chooses to do the exact opposite, God is under no obligation whatsoever to continue the story. But the story's not over, is it? And if you look at verse 4 of chapter 1, now it depends how you're oriented. This could seem like good news or bad news. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. 
he later sends a fish. We talked earlier today about the storms of life, right? Are the storms in your life even those of your own making? But many of us have storms that are not of our own making. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But you see, throughout this story, you see that Jonah is the reluctant missionary, but God is the pursuing God. And despite Jonah's persistent disobedience and poor attitude, God keeps after Jonah because he loves Jonah and because he loves the peoples of the world. And the storms and the fish in this story are gifts from God for Jonah's salvation and sanctification. And the storms and the fish in my life and the storms and the fish in your life They may feel like chastisement, and God disciplines those he loves, but they are ultimately signs of his love and presence in your life. Jonah was slow to figure it out. And so here we see in chapter 1 this scene with the sailors. The pagans seem to fear God more than Jonah does. Jonah knows exactly what is happening. He even admits to the sailors what is happening, but Jonah would rather sleep the sleep of the depressed, and he would rather not just commit suicide himself, but ask people to contribute to his own death, than repent and go to Nineveh. Jonah's first heart, hard-hearted disobedience. Now when you look at chapter 2, we see a second heart. Now, I don't know what you grew up knowing about Jonah, but in my mind, the story of Jonah was he disobeys, the, sh- the, the fish swallows Jonah, Jonah in the fish prays, repents, and God gives Jonah a second chance. Well, I'm here to say that I think that is not actually 100% correct. Because if you read chapter 2, and we're not going to read chapter 2, but if you read chapter 2, you will see that Jonah never repents. He does pray a beautiful prayer, and God does give him a second chance. But nowhere in the prayer does Jonah say, I was wrong, and I will now do what you say. He doesn't say that in the belly of the fish. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 2, this is what Jonah says. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. It sounds wonderful. He's using all the right words. But you know, in the Old Testament, the only place you could make a sacrifice was at the temple. So basically, I think what Jonah is saying here, God, can we just pretend this never happened? Give me back my life. Let me go back to my successful career as a prophet. And we will just pretend this never happened. He just wants to go home. But you see, God is the pursuing God. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now look at chapter 3. This is good news, folks, for me and you, because God is the God of the second chance. God is the God of the second glance. You see, God is on mission, and God has a plan for the entire world, and as undeserved as it is, we are a part of it. And so, look at the parallels in these first few verses of chapter 3 
with the first few verses of chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord, chapter 3, verse 1, came to Jonah. What? A second time. I am not on my second chance. I'm on my one millionth second chance. My one billionth second chance. But this is the pursuing nature of God. And so God comes to Jonah a second time. And he makes the invitation again. Good news. Verse 3 of chapter 3. Jonah obeyed. And so the rest of chapter 3 is this picture of Jonah finally getting it to a degree. Going to Nineveh, doing exactly what God says, and revival breaks out, right? The people of Nineveh repent. And I understand why Jonah didn't want to go here. These were not nice people. And they were going to get even meaner in subsequent generations. This is like asking a Jewish person to go preach in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. I get why Jonah is reluctant. But he sees the mighty acts of God. He saw it in the storm. He saw it in the fish. He sees revival break out among these people. And look at chapter 4, verse 1. Here come these two words again. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What does it say? But Jonah. Let's call Jonah's second heart heartless obedience now i don't know which is worse hard-hearted disobedience or heartless obedience but i can make a case that heartless obedience in some ways is more frightening than hard-hearted disobedience he is doing everything right but his heart is not in it externally he is going through the motions but he has no joy in seeing god at work around him and that is a curse for the Christian of today. God is at work all around you, in people all around you. Do you have the margin, time, desire to see God's mighty acts in this place and all around the world? Where do you get your news? It doesn't really matter if you watch Fox News or MSNBC. Those news outlets are not going to tell you what God is doing in the world today. Do you know what God is doing in the church in Cuba? Amazing. Do you know what God is doing in the church in China? Have you seen the book, A Wind Blowing Through the House of Islam, of stories of people who are Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ? The church, this place, needs to be a place where you are learning and you are telling others what God is doing, it will blow your mind and it will change your heart. Heartless obedience. Jonah had it. In fact, Jonah's honest. But do you realize, folks, honesty is not a fruit of the Spirit. Throughout this chapter, Jonah, and throughout this book, Jonah is very honest. And I hear this in people all the time. Hey, I'm just being honest. You get no special credit for being honest about your sin. And Jonah is very honest about his sin. He does not get extra points. And so look at the dialogue between God and Jonah in chapter 4. 
Jonah is petulant, he is spoiled, he is arrogant, he is more concerned about his own comforts, and twice in chapter 4 he says, hey, I just want to die. And look at God, the tender, powerful teacher, in verse 4 of chapter 4. The Lord replies to Jonah, Have you any right to be angry? That's a good question for you and I. We rage against God sometimes. We have a list of all the things that he has not done for us that we thought if we were good and if we did this that somehow he owed me this. And it doesn't quite work out the way we want And in tender, powerful, convicting love, God says to you and I, come on, really? Really? Do you have any right to be angry? Do you have any right to be angry at God? Jonah didn't, I didn't, you don't. And God in his pursuing love teaches Jonah, gives him visual lessons in case Jonah is slow to learn with the vine and the worm, heartless obedience. Now here's the third heart of Jonah. It's more implicit than explicit, so this might sound like a little bit of a stretch. Now you see, Jonah is unique of all the minor prophets. Most of the minor prophets, in fact all of them except Jonah, the main point of their book that has their name on it is their message. Now Jonah's message is in here, but there is more biographical information on Jonah than any other of the minor prophets because you see for Jonah his message was important but his life is important and I believe the people that got this Bible together that knitted it together they wanted Jonah's story to be told because you see Jonah is a metaphor is a representation of the Old Testament people of God, and for many of us, he is a metaphor for us today. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, when God calls Abraham to himself and makes this covenant with Abraham and says, I am going to take you to myself, and I am going to make you a people, and I'm going to bless you, you and your descendants, and you are going to be a blessing to others. And in Genesis, that is repeated five more times. You see, the people of God were supposed to be a missionary people. They were going to be blessed so that they could be a blessing. The challenge with the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and if we're not careful with us today, is we love the first part, we're not so crazy about the second part. We love the idea of being blessed. Who doesn't want to be blessed? And, you know, we would like to do nice things to people, Give us a lot, God, and and we'll see what we can do with some excess that we don't really need. And we'll pitch a penny over here, or we'll give a dime over here. But you see, the people of Israel 
We're called to be a nation of priests. And what does a priest do? The Latin word for priest means bridge. And that you are to be a bridge to God for somebody else. We are to be bridges to each other. That is our purpose. Folks, we have eternity to worship God in heaven. We have eternity to learn about God. We have eternity to fellowship. The only assignment that God's people are given here on this earth that we will not do in heaven is sharing our faith, call it missions, call it evangelism. This is the assignment that has an, expir an, an expiration date and the clock is ticking. So missions people like myself and Zach and others are sometimes called hyperactive Christians. We are far more than hyperactive Christians. Do we still worship and fellowship and learn? Absolutely. But it's through the lens of mission. Because God loves people. Jonah didn't get it. And you read the Old Testament. The people of Israel were always in trouble, weren't they? And it was because they did not accept their primary identity, which was to be a missionary people. They wanted all the blessings of God, and they wanted to keep God to themselves, and they didn't have the time or energy or interest to share their God with others. We must be careful. Now here's the glimpse of the third heart of Jonah. Jonah has been a spoiled brat this entire story. Now, how do we get all of this information? How do we know what Jonah thought? How do we know that Jonah went into the hold of a ship? How do we know that the sailors threw him overboard and that the fish vomited him out? It would imagine, it would seem to me, that maybe Jonah wrote this story. Or maybe someone interviewed Jonah and he kind of told his story. So let's imagine this third heart of Jonah. An older, wiser Jonah reflecting back on his life. And do you notice that for all the back and forth at the end of this story, let's assume Jonah's the author. Who finally gets the last word? The last two verses of this story, Jonah is quiet and God speaks. So do you think that maybe this older, wiser, chastened Jonah, looking back on his life, telling us the good, the bad, the ugly of what he did and his motives... Down through thousands of years, the pages that are still alive today, and he is telling us through the Spirit, don't live how I lived. First heart, hard-hearted disobedience. Second heart, heartless obedience. This third heart, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh, Nineveh, 
These people that you don't like, and we all have Ninevehs in our life. Whether it's a person, a group of people who live close to you, or who live far away from you. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about that place in Kentucky? Should I not be concerned about the people in Swaziland? Should I not be concerned about that church in Utah? Should I not be concerned about those missionaries that you all are going to serve in Taiwan? And if I'm to be concerned about them, because I made them, they're my idea. And if you claim to be my children, you will be concerned in proportionate, commiserate, sacrificial ways. So as our time comes to a close, let me say thank you. As Zach shared what you guys have done with your Lottie Moon offering. Almost $12,000 against a goal of $6,000. That's how my in-laws lived for 38 years because people like you were faithful. Thank you. But more than that, what it says about this place and its commitment to God's heart for the nations. You know, in Sunday school, I was always taught that God didn't make any of us to look exactly the same. And why is that? Because, you know, we all bear the image of God, right? And some people look more godly than others, I'll admit. But no one person can capture all that God is, right? You know, God could have made a completely gray world with no color and we would have been none the wiser. Why are there so many colors? Because God in his manifold, multifaceted wisdom, no one thing can capture all that he is. So some of us are short and tall and dark and light. But not only did God make individuals, God made cultures. And God made peoples of the world. And why are we all different? And it can, they can scare us sometimes. I get it. Because no one skin tone, no one language captures all of God's amazing beauty and power. And that vision in Revelation when around the throne that's people from every tribe and, tribe and tongue and nation. Because it reflects who God is. So God says to us today, hard-hearted obedience, heartless obedience, heartfelt gratitude, Jonah finally giving God the last word. Will you, will this church be faithful in giving God the last word? From the little that I can see, I say thank you for your faithfulness. Maybe you're not a believer today. Maybe God is pursuing you. Maybe you know exactly what he wants of you and you have run the other way. Today is the day of salvation. 
I'm going to pray, turn it over to the pastor for the invitation. Jonah, the reluctant missionary with a pursuing God, that is our story as well. Let's pray. The storm in Jonah's life was unpleasant. Who wants to?